This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. The United States Department of Agriculture started a program that is a strong component to what food banks do for the community. The program is called TFAP, the Temporary Food Assistance Program, that has the dual purpose of supporting the work of food banks and agriculture at the same time. The Food Bank Council of Michigan's network of seven Feeding America food banks distribute approximately 80% of this food across Michigan. Wow. More recently, a new program was announced in the recent legislation that boasts a $1 billion investment in this work. This sounds wonderful and is very much needed, but the stresses of the pandemic, the economy, and the shortfalls, misalignments, and broken agreements of these programs are hurting families. We need to do better. The Food Bank Council of Michigan is attempting to align ourselves with the principles of the program contained in this appropriation, like the local food purchasing assistance program, and fulfill them to the betterment of the community and the families we serve. It's hard, frustrating, and while we always strive to be problem solvers, not just problem spotters, we must define reality first. Today, Carrie Calvert, the Vice President of Government Relations, focusing on agriculture and nutrition for Feeding America, will help us understand the intent of the programs, the opportunities, and what you can do to help us align our efforts to ensure these monies and programs help us reach the next level of food security across Michigan. Come back and join us in just a moment. everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson, Carrie Calvert, the Vice President for Government Relations, focusing on nutrition and agriculture. Did I get that right, Carrie? You did. Yeah. Carrie Calvert, back with us here on Food First Michigan. So, Carrie and Jerry, good morning. Good, good morning. morning. We're not going to call you Philly, though. No, 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 don't. It's a step too far. Just go with Dr. Phil. Yeah, stay there. It's safe. Hey, um, we got a lot of things to talk about here. So let's, as Jerry says, let's let's get started right away. We'll jump into the deep end of the pool. Uh, lots of stuff, uh, activity through some of the appropriations carry in the uh, that's flowing through the United States Department of Agriculture, and. Um, and one of the first things I want us to talk about is the local food purchasing assistance program. Sure. Um, we feel really at home about this because we have what we call the MASS program, Michigan Agricultural Surplus System. It was the first in the nation. 39 states have all copied that now. And uh, it's what we do, this, this uh, local food purchasing assistance program is designed to do, which is purchase food from local growers and get that into our food system. So tell us about that. Yeah, I'm happy to. And 
thanks for having me back. Um, you uh, are so gracious to extend the invite, so uh, something must be working. So uh, happy to be back. <laughs> Uh, so, so let me back up a little bit. You know, um, last last year um, when the Biden administration uh, came into office and Secretary Vilsack took the helm at USDA again, you know, uh, he used to be on Feeding America's Board of Directors, and he has a lot of experience and knowledge about the strength of the food bank network and how we work with growers and producers in communities to connect food safely and equitably with people in need. So we were working with, um, you know, members of Congress on a bipartisan basis and the administration to talk about the incredible increased need we were seeing nationwide and continuing to see as the pandemic uh, continued and as you know, the people we're serving aren't able to participate fully in the, the job market and the economy. People were strapped and really needed assistance. So, um, USDA took funds from um, one of the pandemic recovery bills and the American Rescue Act and announced uh, last June a billion dollar investment to support the nation's emergency food network. And as part of that investment, they set aside $400 million for these federal state cooperative agreements. And the goal is USDA is providing the funding and approving the state plans. And the goal is that states work with uh, emergency food <laughs> providers and um, producers in their state to connect uh, local foods with people in need. So you're exactly right, Phil. It is designed, it, it sounds like something right up our alley in terms of our network's area of expertise. And um, you know, one of the things that excited us about the opportunity is sometimes purchasing locally and purchasing from socially disadvantaged growers and producers can cost a little bit more. And this is the federal government saying, hey, this is something valuable worth investing in, and we want to support these local efforts. So um, to us, it's a, a great way to add additional resources to the strong work that's already happening um, state by state, community by community with our network and with local growers and producers. So Michigan's part of that, Jerry, is about $11 million uh, for local food purchasing. 4.4 million of that is going to the tribal governments, um, and that would be direct between them and USDA. And 6.6 .6 million has been set aside for the, the rest of the folks and organizations like ours that do this work. Yeah, and my understanding is they're somewhat prioritizing the rural communities because those communities often don't have the same access to food as some of the urban communities do, which might sound a little bit strange, but there's so much infrastructure in place in the urban settings that rural communities often don't have. So so I think that, you know, pr prioritizing places that have a harder time getting access, and as Carrie said, where it might cost more money um, to, to you know, ship food farther. So if we can help work on those local relationships, especially in our rural communities where the farms are, obviously, um, maybe we can develop long-term strategies for addressing what has been somewhat of a discrepancy for many, many years. So I think the hope in this program is 
to address some of those systemic challenges and certainly with the tribal communities I know that they've long wanted a better system for how they get food through their government sources so I think this is all an attempt by uh, the the USD a rightful attempt to say how do we correct some of these systemic imbalances so you know for food banks in Michigan especially those that have a lot of rural uh, counties I think this is gonna really support what I hope will be a strong systemic possibility that'll help those communities, not just now, but even going into the future. Yeah, um, on that point, I think it's, you're so right. You know, like what's your per pound cost to distribute food in a rural community versus a more densely populated one, Jerry? It's going to be a lot higher per pound of food, right? Um, but I do want to point out that the USDA's request for applications talks about underserved communities as well. So what a lot of our, um, you know, uh, Phil was, we had a collaborative discussion with Feeding America and our network state associations last week talking about this. And some of the things that um, food banks are doing is, you know, they're looking at, okay, what are we distributing per county right now? And what's food insecurity in that county? Because in some urban areas, they are underserved based on the amount of people that are food insecure, right? So I think looking at underserved communities, whether it's really rural areas, which is what we always think of when we think of underserved communities, because the infrastructure is less, like you said, it costs so much more to distribute food in communities, and there might be less community partners. Um, but also looking at um, just areas where there's higher concentrations of food insecurity. Um, you know, I think there's also an opportunity um, for our network, you know, to um, to ask our tribal partners in states, is there anything we can help you with, you know, right. um, and, you know, I applaud USDA for, for indicating that there's a method for tribes to apply, right, in case, um, you know, if tribes have really strong food procurement programs already and they want to, um, to run their own program, there's space for that. Um, and hopefully states and food banks and tribes can talk together about how they can co-create programs where that's possible. Because I know a lot of our food banks are working in partnership to help meet food insecurity needs in tribal communities. I think this is a topic that came up in our food security council that our governor created. Um, and, and we had a representative from the tribal governments on the council. and. You know, my eyes were open to uh, to the need, the poverty level of poverty, and also uh, the lack of infrastructure. So we we I, I think the food bank council has a role to play here, and and not just in the UP uh, where the tribe some tribal communities are, but throughout the state. Um, what role can we play to enhance their ability? Uh, to take advantage of these opportunities. And so those conversations are ongoing. They're pretty exciting, as a matter of fact. But I want to circle back, and then we need to take a quick break here on the vulnerable, um, under-resourced community topic. You know, uh, how we define that is critical. Uh, and I think we, it's a term that, that certainly not the two of you, but other people throw around pretty easily uh, without without us really doing some in-depth talk about that. And so what we've done at the Food Bank Council with our, our research team, we call them the dream team, is develop a Michigan-based social vulnerability index so that we can look at this map 
And the, and the really cool thing about it, as we describe this on radio, is that when you look at the map, you can see it at a county level. And so this county is purple. We know it's in great need. Or we see this county is lighter blue. It's not as in great need. But when you drill down past the county to the census tract, you see where the communities are that are socially vulnerable, even though they're in a county at 30,000 feet when you fly over, looks pretty healthy, right? But when you drill down, you see you're doing a distribution that's three miles away from a, um, uh, a community that has a super high social vulnerability. And I think that's the kind of research that's gonna guide us not only how we distribute food, but how we distribute other resources to, to distribute that food. So I think that's a, a topic for another show perhaps, but I wanted to throw that out uh, because we're, we feel like we're, we're right on the cutting edge of that. So I gotta pay some bills. So Jerry Brisson, Kerry Calvert, Vice President for Government Relations, focusing on agriculture and nutrition, something Jerry and I are vitally interested in she's (laughs) back with us and we're all three back in just a moment contact the food bank council of michigan at fbcmich.org now back to more food first michigan with dr phil knight and jerry brisson we're back. Thanks for listening, everybody. Carrie Calvert with us, Vice President for Government Relations at Feeding America, our national organization. As always, Jerry Brisson and myself, Dr. Phil Knight, we're here with you. And um, Carrie, we kind of just touched on the, uh, the social vulnerability index that we see as becoming uh, a, a, a part of our work here in Michigan as we evaluate where the underserved communities actually are. Yeah, I mean, that's great that you guys have that measurement in Michigan. It really, I wish every state was doing that. And, you know, all of our food bank partners were, were at that point um, and had developed these index, indexes because it really helps you zero in with specificity. You know, counties can be really large and, you know, resources are, are finite. So you want to make sure you're targeting um, your work to the communities most in need. So that's great that you guys have that level of detail in Michigan. I think it really puts you a step ahead in terms of, um, you know, determining where um, grant dollars or other resources should go. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, we're really proud of our team and, uh, and the work that they're doing. In fact, we just got off a call before we started this sh- recording this show with our Department of Education that handles all our TFAP, CSFP, all, this, all these federal programs, I should say. Um, most of those go through either human resources or, uh, 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 or ag. Ours goes to education. So we were just sharing this, uh, our ability to be able to do this with them. Uh, Jerry, human resources, be, wait a second, that's personnel. Yeah, Health and human right. services, I Health think, is what we service. mean. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> well, my I mean, mistake. now I interact with human resources a lot, but that's a very different issue. <laughs> right. Well, my mistake is our mistake. So <laughs> it's kind of the way it works. I knew when I said it, it was wrong, but anyway... So, uh, well, look, there's another topic here that we need, we need to get some, uh, some clarity on, and that's the second part of this, this, this allocation from the Build Back Better legislation, and that's the Reach and Resiliency Grant. 
What, what's that about, Carrie? Well, um, you know, it had its origins, honestly, in our work with Secretary Vilsack when he was on Feeding America's Board of Directors. You know, uh, Secretary Vilsack used to be um, uh, involved with the U.S. Dairy Export Council. He uh, former Iowa governor, right? He really understands the dairy industry and he understands that our food bank network is capable of great things and is doing great things. But a lot of times our local agency partners need additional cold storage capacity. He, kno mm -hmm. you know, he knows we've got the training to make sure that food, especially perishable food, is safely distributed, um, but that more resources and investments are needed in cold storage capacity. So uh, the hope of the TFAP Region Resiliency Grants is to think about, hey, are there areas where the, the TFAP uh, pantry network needs additional support, either cold storage support, mobile pantry support. Are there communities where distribution uh, could be more frequent or fuller mm -hmm. with some of those investments? They could be rural, as Jerry mentioned earlier, um, talking about the other grants. Could also be in urban communities where, you know, maybe it's a food desert and there's not a lot of food access, right? So it's really thinking about where is food distributed right now and how can it be strengthened? And I think this is where the data-driven approach of our network really helps because mm -hmm. we know, you guys know where you're distributing food and where your agency partners are working. And so you've got that level of visibility in how to invest those resources for the greatest impact. The program's designed with a lot of state flexibility, you know, uh, because every state is different and every community is different. But what we're seeing a lot of our network do is look at the data they already have on where food distributions are, you know, use food insecurity or, uh, you know, an even better index like you guys have in terms of really zeroing in on where need is greatest and then identify how, um, you know, how those funds could be invested for greater reach. You know, I want to add just a thought to that, and, and it really has to do with the overall mix of food that comes into our system. Um, you know, back in the day when food banking was first started, almost all of the food that came into the system was just donated. Um, a lot of it was shelf-stable, and it was, you know, that whole system was really put in place to keep those kinds of foods from going to waste. So a lot of the relationships, for example, were with food manufacturers. Uh, you know, so we got cereal and soup and, you know, that kind of stuff. A lot of the waste that that system used to throw off is now being absorbed by secondary markets, right? So you have dollar stores and you have other types of stores that are taking advantage of any surplus that's coming through that system, which was the mainstay of food banking years ago. So food banks are getting a lot more things closer to the beginning of the food supply chain. We're getting a lot more food directly from, from farmers and growers. And, and so because of that, the need for refrigeration and frozen product is going up too. The, both of those needs have increased substantially because of the mix of food that's coming through the system. So obviously no system is static and any system that's throwing off waste is going to learn how to throw off less of it. That's just the nature of business, right? Nobody wants waste if they can help it. So, uh, so all that to say, there's so many things about this infrastructure that affect why we need more downstream distribution. The last point I want to make is when we talk to people about the food they want and need, milk, produce, eggs, and, and um, cheese, those always come up as highly desirable items 
Uh, definitely. I, I definitely see that, Jerry. Um, I mentioned I've been at Feeding America a while, which is why I'm winning in the contest of who's been on uh, Food First Michigan the most. Um, but I've, re I've really seen that mix of donated food and purchased food by our network change. You know, I think we've also seen a mix and a change in certainly what USDA is purchasing and distributing through TFAP. Some of that's a relation to what's available in the market. But, you know, as these really highly desirable products like dairy, eggs, protein, produce, increase um, in their availability through TFAP and USDA foods, you know, we need that resultant and equal increase in the amount of, you know, uh, capacity and infrastructure um, that our network um, relies on. You know, I think that oftentimes um, opportunity creates innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what happened for us, Kerry, here in Michigan is uh, the, the United Dairy Industry of Michigan and the Michigan Milk Producers Association invited us, actually MMPA invited us to their conference. They brought us up on stage, me, all of our food bankers, and uh, they, gave, they set an announcement. We had no idea. And they started donating to the food banks 350 gallons of milk and 50 pounds of cheese every day. Well, shoot, we got to have the infrastructure to be able to live up to our highest value, which is food safety. And I think that some of these programs follow that same line of rationale, that, that opportunity creates innovation. And that means that we all get better and our communities get better served and the families in those communities get what, what Jerry prescribes as a, a, a real value for our work is we have to give people the food that they want and need. Absolutely. And so, I, I, it's pretty exciting. So let's introduce this, this third topic before we, before we get out and take a break. Um, Better yet, you know what? We better just take the break. I, I get you two started on this, and, it, yeah, we, and we I won't, won't be able won't to cut you short. off. You should, you should take yeah, the I, break. Yeah, I'm going to take the break now. All right, we're out, and then we're back. You come back and be with us, too. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson, Kerry Calvert, Vice President of Government Relations at uh, Feeding America, our national organization. And Kerry, you're focused in uh, agriculture and nutrition, which means you have a lot to do with the United States Department of Agriculture, which is one of Jerry's favorite topics. <laughs> it's my favorite so alphabet agency. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the USDA does so many things that people don't even know. They're a, they're a huge part of, of how um, one of the major parts of support for people works, right? I mean, they've got the SNAP program, which is incredibly important to the people we serve. And then the rest of the farm bill, which is incredibly important to our growers all over the country. They've got the child nutrition uh, you know, work, which is so important to school kids and our communities that way, and so many other things. I'm not going to try to list them all, but I mean, you know, they, they really are important to us in our work. And if we're going to have food secure communities, I mean, where the safety net really works the way it's supposed to, working closely with the USDA 
USDA on those programs is a critical component of it. So it's one of the reasons we talk about it. This isn't just fluff to us. This is really, really critical decisions. And as they're made, our ability to understand what's driving those decisions and then influence what's driving those decisions is really one of the key ways that we remain viable and effective in our work. So I can't say enough about how important the USDA is to us. Um, And I know this last topic is a little pain point right now because we are actually at a five-year low in the amount of actual food that we can distribute to our communities coming directly from the USDA. And so we're trying to figure that out. Are, you know, is there anything we can do to help? Is there, you know, the, the money has been allocated, but they've just struggled to find and get the food into the system so that we can get it out to people. So, you know, I think what we're interested in is, well, what does it look like is happening there? And is there anything we can do? Yeah, yeah, great point. So I think there's two things. Number one, um, the pandemic-related supply chain issues. You know, USDA is no different than any other supplier, retailer, or person operating in the food space, basically, everyone across the country. You know, supply chain shortages are impacting everyone. And so that impacts what USDA is able to purchase as well, right? Um, You know, because if growers and producers are selling more to the retail market because there's a shortage, that's less for USDA to purchase. They've been really creative, though, in identifying ways to um, to keep the food moving. So, you know, I feel confident that the USDA purchasing um, challenge is solved. The bigger challenge we're seeing now is, you know, USDA is, um, you know, moving very expeditiously to spend all the money they're allocated. We need more mo- USDA to have more money. Um, so, uh, you know. We are, um, you know, across the network, there was a 30% drop in food from USDA last year. There were some temporary um, uh, COVID-related increases in resources for food banks that ended. Um, And although, you know, USDA's billion-dollar investment was so critically important and will really help us with additional food this year, it doesn't make up the gap. You know, that's only half of what dropped off in 2021. So what we've been doing is we've been pushing Congress to allocate additional, um, you know, COVID recovery food for our food bank network in the year-end spending bill. Um, We're also really urging USDA to consider if they've got any additional resources that can be allocated to this. Um, the good news is uh, people are listening. You know, members of Congress on a bipartisan basis are listening. USDA is listening. They're really interested in figuring out um, how they can help. And so, uh, you know, we've been really encouraged by the amount of traction and support we've seen. You know. Um, uh, I know that Michigan's own senior senator, Debbie Stabenow, who's chair of the Senate Ag Committee, has been working so hard, whether it's to talk about the need to strengthen child nutrition programs or, um, you know, working with USDA to make sure programs are working effectively and smoothly. Um, she really has her finger on the pulse of what's happening and has been um, you know, a key ally in, in trying to identify resources, whether there's funds that USDA can access or, um, you know, an opportunity to put funding in a spending bill. Um, you know, uh, Congress and the federal landscape is always an, an, interesting, an interesting thing. You know, uh, you know um, progress is not always linear and smooth. 
Um, but we're really confident that, um, you know, we've got the bipartisan support out there. Uh, it's just a matter of cutting through the general noise in D.C. that's happening, whether it's international issues or domestic issues. There's just a lot of stuff going on in the world, so yeah. trying to cut through that noise and make space for members like Senator Stabenow that are so supportive of our network to affect change is always a challenge. Well, we're happy to have you working on that with us, Carrie. I mean, you've been at it a long time, and it, it, it gives you a, at least some edge to know who to talk to, when and how, and they trust you as they well should to give them good information about what needs really are, and I think even more important, the impact that we make when those needs are met, right? When children are nourished, what happens? They learn better in school. They exhibit better behaviors. Their mental health is better. And, you know, we like to say there's two words that should never go together, and that's child and hunger, right? So right. that's just one example, and obviously we don't have time to go through them all, but we're grateful for your continuing to carry the torch for us and making sure that our needs are understood and well known and uh and we'll we'll latch on to your sense of optimism here i mean i try but you know what our work is only possible because of the great work you guys are doing i shamelessly throw your names around likely without your knowledge all the time because it's the <laughs> strong work that our network is doing in communities that gives us relevance at talking to federal lawmakers right you guys are really the backbone of our advocacy work because it's all built on the the authentic work that you're doing in communities. So thank you. Well, throwing mine and Jerry's name around will probably, you know, I'm not sure how much good that will do you. <laughs> of course, unless you're playing, unless you're hanging out in pool halls or something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, so, yeah, well, you know, this is a really hard topic. I mean, we, Jerry, Jerry says it, I mean, it, we, we take it very seriously. We know that you do and your team does. But, you know, the net effect, Carrie, when, and we recognize food supply. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fussing at anybody. But the net effect is when you, when you spend the time to say, okay, what food do we want to get for the people you know that they want and need and we know they're going to consume it and so we place that order and then usda goes out to try to find that food and then they come back and say oh well you know what we couldn't find that yeah what's the net effect of that is that this is food that does not come to the food bank that does not go to the community that does not get to the family and and so now the food banks are in a position where they've got to go try to raise the money from the community to try to repl essentially replace that food that they had been counting on. So wherever this systemic breakdown is, and I understand the issues with food supply, but this was an issue before we had COVID. And yeah. we have to build a better system here to make sure that the food that gets ordered gets to the place where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the positives is that, you know, we've got such a willing um, partner, you know, such a strong partnership with USDA that, um, you know, they're actively um, working to find solutions. It's just like a, you know, it's a ship that is, you know, it's a yacht, not a speedboat, or it's a cruiser, not a speedboat, right? Course correction um, it takes a bit. Uh, to turn the wheel, but sure. 
you know, I'm hoping we'll see some additional strong progress there. Um, but I know it's so frustrating, particularly when the private supply chain is tight as well, because you just want to make sure that, you know, the people coming to your, you know, to a food distribution have the the milk and, and the nutritious food that they need. Right. So I understand. I think that the... Uh the, the word picture you're looking for is trying to turn an ocean liner in a bathtub. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I can count on you for an artful phrase. <laughs> there, all, every, almost every time. Right. But Carrie Calvert, Vice President of Government Relations at Feeding America, focusing on agriculture and nutrition, working specifically, I would say, our liaison from the, our network to the United States Department of Agriculture and we're, as Jerry said, we're glad you that you're there. And thank you for how you're doing this job and what it means to all the people and the families across America that we serve. Thanks for being with us, Gary. Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Jerry got to love it when Carrie Calvert is on with us because um, there's always a little insight there that we don't normally glean any other way, seems like. Yeah, what happens back behind the scenes when you're negotiating all the things that need to be negotiated to support every single community in the United States? I mean, again, we're talking about food banks cover every county and every community in the United States. Carrie Calvert helps make sure our Congress and our, our administration understands that that's what's happening and the support that we need. So it's critically important work. And, you know, we talked about telling our listeners what they could do. And uh, and here's a few ideas for you. Certainly keep supporting your local food banks. We need volunteers. We need food. We need funds. And as the changes and things happen in, in government programs right now, we could really use your help. So that's one thing you can do. But you had some ideas there too, Doctor. Yeah, Jerry, I think that you know, uh, our friends in agriculture, farmers, uh, ranchers, growers of all types, uh, I, I think if you're not involved in this mission of food security, reach out to us at the Food Bank Council of Michigan. You can find us at fbcmich.org. And uh, I think also if there are community-based partners, community-based organizations that is interested in helping come alongside of our network to reach deeper and further into your community to the folks and the families that are struggling with food insecurity and you're not involved with us reach out to us call us email us and uh let's see if we can b truly build a statewide network of of uh of all of us together to reach this next level of food security and to our regular listeners keep listening that's one Absolutely. of the best things you can do we appreciate you a great deal Yep, yep, and, and tell your friends and uh, neighbors. If you don't have any friends, just tell strangers. We don't care. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, about the show and find us uh, here on WJR as well as at our podcast website, which is foodfirstmi.org. And with that, Jerry, it's time for a little food for thought. I mentioned this in the show, but let me reemphasize it. What does it mean to cancel a load of food that's intended for Michigan? It means that food banks must try and find food, purchase that food to replace the food that was promised. Uh, 
It potentially means families and undersourced communities particularly do not receive the food from us that they need. This is an unacceptable practice. We can do better. What does it mean when decisions about where and how the food is distributed is done by something other than data and research like politics, our favorite programs or people? Trust me, I get politics. It's in every facet of life, but not here. Not when it comes to emergency food. The Food Bank Council of Michigan is positioned to help Michigan understand better than ever who is hungry, where they live, and how much help do they need and for how long. We are in a position to work with the community-based partners, state government, and a host of new partners that are committed to the principle of helping people reach self-sufficiency by putting and keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.